Hello, welcome again. This is Lionel from Lionel Home Loans. This is a new podcast episode. I want to thank you guys for listening to the previous one. The most recent uh, podcast I had was with Stephanie Gutierrez, and that covered women in the financial industry. So everyone who listened to it, thank you. Special shout out to Stephanie, too, for being a guest speaker and uh, speaking her truth and speaking, you know, um, you know, her perception of the women in the financial industry and her experiences and just motivating everyone to, to join, you know, that industry or just any form of industry working for yourself. Um, thank you again, Stephanie, for that. So um, tonight's a new, a new episode. I'm focusing on investment properties. Those are just the basics, uh, nothing too complicated. Um, like I said, I just want to talk a little bit about it. If any of you guys have any questions, reach out to me. Reach out to me through my, uh, my, my Instagram or, you know, you can find my Instagram. You can find my personal phone number, my email address. If you want to submit an application, if you want to go over some strategies, you want to run something by me, uh, let me know. Or you want to ha- want me to answer a question for you or you want me to present, you want to ask me, you want me to answer a question in a future episode. Uh, just run it by me. And, uh, like I said, it, it has, if it has something to do with credit, it's perfect. Mortgages has perfect business credit or even just business to begin with. But if it doesn't, if there's something else, but in the financial industry, let me know. Um, and if I don't have the answer, I'll, I'll figure it out. I work with, uh, with a network of professionals, financial professionals from, uh, Team Elevate, Elevate Leaders. So I'll be able to find something for you. So anyway, let's go, let's get straight into the investment properties. So, um, I first want to talk about what an investment property is. So by definition, an investment property is a real estate property purchased with the intention of earning a return on the investment, either through rental income, the future of real estate, of the future resale of the property or both. Um, examples are like purchasing a property you're not going to occupy and it's going to be used by tenants. So tenant is a person who would actually stay at the, at the, at the property and in exchange for, um, for staying there, um, you know, they'll give you a rental fee. You'll give them a, you know, give them a fee and, and the rental income will pay for the uh, the mortgage if there is one. Um, so an exchange for a fee. <laughs> so a few examples are like rental units, um, apartments, um, owner occupy units, which, which are two or four units, uh, properties, five to eight units. And those are usually considered commercial because it's more than five to eight. Um, owner occupy two to four. That's a property where, let's say, you live in one of the units and the other three you could pretty much run out. So that's an example. Um, and two examples of loans that you can get with that. It's very easy for people to get. It's an FHA loan and a conventional loan. So, um, there are different ways of going about it. Even just a home itself it doesn't have to be an apartment or a place that has multiple units. It can just be one home that you rent out to a family or, or to a tenant. Now, um, when it comes to investment properties, one of the first things you want to do is you want to do your homework. So you want to look at very specific locations. I'm going to give you a few examples um, of a few locations that you can look into. Um, right now, what's really booming is uh, the Midwest. So like in the Midwest, there's a, there's a good amount of appreciation that's going on. A few states are like Ohio, Michigan, and uh, Illinois. So these are some really, really cool spots where you can look into getting some property. And the reason is, is because the... The, the purchase value or the home market value for these houses are really cheap. They're not that expensive. So um, it's a perfect opportunity to go into there. And um, these states that I mentioned, specifically like Michigan or Illinois, there's a lot of manufacturing plants in those areas. So um, around those areas, those those kind of amenities, there's, there's people constantly wanting to move towards their work. So if you were to land a spot there, you know, the, the employees would want to 
work closer to the to, to, to the job site. So right then and there, you can rent something out to them. Now, um, another location is locally. I'm in California. Um, so a place that you can look into locally for everyone that's in California, Southern California, mid, uh, you know, Northern California or mid California, I would say Palmdale, uh, Lancaster and Baker's, uh, Bakersfield. Um, in Bakersfield specifically, there's a casino, the Hard Rock Casino. It's, it's opening and it's going to be bringing a lot of new jobs. So with new jobs coming in, you know, people are going to move in that, in that area. They're going to want to work close to home. Um, you know, so they're, they're going to be finding places around there. Um, so that, that's a good place to, to start. Um, you know, you can get an Airbnb there. Um, you know, for people who, who want to be around, around the Hard Rock Casino, maybe not necessarily at the casino itself. I want to get a place nearby, but these want to go to the to, to the casino itself just to, to gamble and have some fun and just, you know, uh, entertain, you know, whatever is going on at the casino at the time. Um, another place is by the is by uh, by the beach, um, specifically in Southern California, there's Long Beach. Long Beach, for example, right now you can get a condominium for about half a million dollars, um, which is a really good price. And it's by Long Beach and you can get condominiums, you can get lofts. Um, and you know it's it's not a bad place to 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 get a place in a, a rental property there, and it's appreciating and it's affordable. Um, now when you're looking for to get an investment property, a rule of thumb is that you need to have at least three reasons as to why you're going to be purchasing a specific property. You know, um, just saying that the way it looks is nice is not going to be enough, or it's going to give you rental income. You need to have three specific situ specific reasons why you want to buy something. Um, so in order to justify it, you want it, you want it to buy because it's a specific particular area, maybe because it's near Walmart, because it's near an airport, because the manufacturing plant is being built. Like the example I just gave earlier about the Harvard Cafe in, um, in, uh, in, in, Bake, in, in Bakersfield. Um, so you need to have more, you need to have very specific things. So amenities bring, bring up people, uh, closer to, uh, amenities bring people to, um, to live near specific areas like, a football stadium, malls, manufacturing plants. You know, people usually like to be around where, where, you know, where they can go shopping, where they can take their kids to, somewhere where they have something to do outside just living in that place. So, if you can buy a property within it, with where a place where there's a lot, a lot of amenities, that's a, that's a good reason to buy it. Um, another thing is you want to look for something that's desirable. Desirable area could be like the mountains, uh, the beaches, like I mentioned earlier, like Long Beach. Um, and for some people, even the desert is to them, it's desirable. The quiet, uh, the lack of people, um, the scenery, um, you know, if they love, if they love to go hiking or they love to go travel, they love, they love the, those type of landscapes. That, that's a good reason for them. So that's a desirable reason. And of course, last but not least, it's, it's affordable. So you want to buy something you can obviously afford and something where you feel like, you know, other people will be able to afford it as well. So they don't mind paying rent. Or they don't mind getting an Airbnb there, you know, because it's affordable for them. Let's say they want to go to some big city, but they don't want to live in that city for an Airbnb. They want to go to the next city, which is very close. And uh, that's a good reason why, because they'll be renting it out your Airbnb property in one city. But during the nightlife or for a specific concert or a festival or whatever it is, they'll be going to the next city. And sometimes because of that, things are going on in that city, the rent might be higher. So the Airbnb is going to be higher. So. For some people, it makes sense to go to the next town over, which is cheap, stay there, and then go to the next city for the amenities. So that's a good reason you can do it as well. Uh, another reason you want to just go to a place that's 
that's thriving. Um, another place that you can actually go to is Santa Clarita. Santa Clarita is a really good spot right now and um, towards Palmdale. Um, the pricing is not that expensive. It's been going up. But, you know, if you want to, if you live in Southern California or in California, do your research and look into those areas. There's some really nice parts of town. Um, it's not congested like the rest of Los Angeles, but there's some good opportunities there. So uh, look, in, look into that place. Um, yeah, so those are the three specific reasons as to why you would want to, uh, um, you know, buy, purchase a property. But just like, again, just to, to give it, to give you like uh, categories for number one, because it's affordable. Number two, because it's desirable because of the way it looks or because of the school system. And number three, because of the economics. There's a, like I said, a, a casino being built, an airport, a manufacturing plant, a, 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 like a Tesla warehouse, a university, something that's going to bring people in. You want to have more than one reason as to why you're going to get an investment property. And sometimes it's affordable. An example could be in the house that's just going to an auction. It's not necessarily owned by someone, but it's bank owned. Maybe, you know, the house, uh, the bank took back the house for someone because they went to foreclosure and, you know, they weren't able to make the mortgages. So now the bank doesn't want to hold on to that because at, at, in their eyes, they already lost their investment. And every time, every month that they're not getting a mortgage payment, they're losing on it. So they'll try to cut, you know, cut their losses by putting it in the market and getting it sold right away. So you can go to an, an auction and get something for a really good price. So that's another reason is because it's, you know, it's affordable. So um, in order to get these things done, to buy these type of properties, you're going to need a loan most of the time, right? Most people can you need a loan to buy a property um, unless you can buy it in cash. That's desirable. But if you're not walking around with a lot of money, then get a loan. Um, that's that's the next best thing. You want to finance it. And um, by the way, I'm a mortgage broker. So if you're in need of getting a loan, um, you know, re- reach out to me I have, as, as a mortgage broker. I have access to all the loans that you see at your local credit union. And at your local bank or big national bank. But not only that, but I also have access to lenders and their mortgages. Um, you know, um, and, and, you know, they're, they're, they're special kind of mortgages that they have. They have mortgage for someone who has an ITIN. A 910 is a tax ID for someone who doesn't have a social security, who's not necessarily a permanent resident alien or U.S. citizen, but they have a, a you know, a tax ID to pay taxes. And the cool thing about it is an ITIN can actually help you build credit. So if you have an item, you want to purchase a property for yourself to live in, or you want to get an investment property, reach out to me. I can get you an item, um, owner-occupied home, or an item where you're buying an investment property. Um, so back to back to the loans. Um, you know, a few examples of good examples is an, is an FHA loan, an FHA loan, and a conventional loan. Now these loans are very similar. Uh, the only difference is that an FHA loan has a, a down payment, a requirement of three and a half percent. You can get a lot of good um, uh, gifts are, are available. And that comes from family, from friends, from your job, from grants, um, different places. You just have to, there has to be a letter saying that whoever giving you the, the gift funds, that it's going to be a gift. You're not going to repay it back. So that's the cool thing about an FHA. The down payment is only three and a half percent. And uh, you can qualify from two to four units. So, for example, if you get a, a, a duplex or a multiplex or a property where it's three or four units, you will live in one of them and the other unit you rent them out. And the cool thing is that, you know, in order to get this property, the, the lender will do a survey. So what they do is they get comparables of the rental properties around the area and they'll use that to help you qualify for the mortgage. So maybe you on your own won't qualify with your own income, 
But with the survey, with the assumable income you're going to be getting, that can help you qualify. That's a really cool thing about the FHA loan. Another loan is a conventional loan, which is very similar. The only difference is that a conventional loan and an FHA loan is that the conventional loan down payment is actually even even uh, smaller. It's three percent rather than three and a half percent. And the only diff- also another difference is that an FHA loan it's insured by the FHA agency. Um, a conventional loan isn't. And um, with an FHA loan, it comes certain insurance policy that comes along with it, and that now actually sticks with the life of the loan. Um, in the past, we used to get it down to a loan to value of 80 to 20 percent. So once you got it down to 20 percent, um, you could just uh, stop making those insurance payments. But no, that's no longer the case. It actually changed going forward. Now you're gonna have to pay that FHA premium loan for the rest of the loan. Uh, but no worries. As long as, long as you get to 20 percent, you can refinance it into conventional or something else, and you won't have to pay that loan anymore. But you do have to refinance it and get it out of that FHA loan status. Another thing, you can only have one FHA loan at a time. So you can't have an FHA loan where you have one with one property and try to get another one. You can only have one at a time, but you can always do it multiple times. I'll give you a specific example. Uh, my father, his first home he bought with an FHA loan. He put 3.5% down. Eventually, the house built equity. He sold the house and bought another property. And uh, you know the money that he made from that he put 20% down on his next house, which was a conventional loan. And then, um, then he got that loan. And then he, he got another property. Um, well, this was just an investment property. So investment properties, you need to put at least 20% down. So he got his 20%. He put on a second property. So now he has one property for himself and another one for his rental income. And then eventually down the road, he bought another property, a third property. And this one, he bought it from a, from a bank loan uh, mortgage. It was an auction. Um, he bought that property for about 300000 It's a very successful story. Somewhere in West LA near the SoFi Stadium. So this is an example. He bought the property around 2008, 2009 uh, for 300000 And um, since then, uh, in, you know, in, in the specific part of LA, there's the SoFi Stadium where Inglewood's at. The place appreciated a lot because there was amenities. So he was a clear example of when you should buy a property. Uh, fast forward 10, 10 years later now, uh, more than 10 years, that property is now worth 750000 And the balance right now is about two fifty. So he, on paper, he made about half a million dollars. So when he does sell the property, he's already making half a million. Or if he sells it down the road, he's going to make even more money. So that's an example of taking advantage of a, a specific time, you know, that those 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 owners, you know, the, the the occupiers, they lost the house, and the the property was owned by a bank, and my brother, my my sorry, my father was able to to learn about that, and he uh, got the property, and now he's making half a million dollars, and and his tenants are they're paying the mortgage, so um, you know, there's a lot of things that a lot of factors that go into look, you know, sometimes it's look for houses that are going to go into auction, closer to an amenity, like like his example. Um, it's desirable or something's gonna, or it's gonna become desirable in the future. So look, look, look for multiple reasons. Or his was a success story. Not only that, but also because he used an FAT program to get that pro, to get that house. So this is the second time he used the FAT program. He just didn't do it, he didn't one, one property at a time. He couldn't do it at the same time. Um, eventually I refinanced that property for him. That property is now in a conventional loan and I was able to get him 
his fourth property, which is a reverse mortgage, which is, it's actually, I'm sorry, it's his actual second property he lives now. I got him a reverse mortgage, but this is a fourth loan or a fourth different. And on this property, he got a reverse mortgage and the reverse mortgage that he has is an FHA insured mortgage. So once again, that property he had in LA, he had to refinance it, take it out of FHA status, put it to conventional so that he can get a reverse mortgage on his own property because that was going to be an FHA loan. So the way you want to look at all these things is that use properties, use these programs as a way to get you into the real estate um, industry. You know, uh, don't always be necessarily tied to one house. Look at a house as as just one house is going to get you to the one you really want, especially if you're a first time homeowner. Don't get married to the first house. Just use that house as to get you get your feet wet to help you understand what it's like to make a mortgage payment. Just learn how to just have a mortgage. Um, if you're going to use it as your, if you're going to get a multiple unit so you know what it's like to first eight, buy your own property, live in a house and two rent it out. So, for example, the, the, the two to four unit example of an FHA as a perfect example. You're a, you're a, you're a property owner and you're a landlord at the same time within your own same property. And, um, you know, the cool thing about that is that after two years, or I believe one year, um, after one year, if you're able to, uh, you have to be on the property loan on an FHA loan for the first 12 months. After those 12 months, you can move out and that unit that can be covered by someone else now. So, and you can buy another property now. Now, the second property you that you're going to be getting, well, you probably want to go have a convention on at that point uh, to get the second property. But that's how you can use an FHA program to help you become a homeowner and to become, um, uh, uh, you know, to, to earn investment property. So that that's a really cool loan because it's like knocking two birds with one stone. Um, so that, that's a really cool program that so you can use at your disposal uh, if you want to get into real estate. It's the FHA program. And the conventional is very much the same. You know, um, two to four units as well. Um, that's a really cool thing as well. Another kind of loan that you would want to get is a commercial real estate loan. Now, commercial real estate loan, that, that's for a property that's more than five to eight units. So maybe like a small apartment complex. Um, that's a perfect example. But because the property is so much more bigger, they don't necessarily go off so much on your income. Um, it does play a factor, but really what it comes down to is the fact that you need to put 20% down. So it's not like the convention or the FHA where you put three or three and a half percent down. It's going to be 20% down. So for example, if you were to buy a home that's a million dollars or a property that's eight units, seven units, value at a million dollars, then you need to bring 20% to the plate. So you need to bring $200,000 liquid um, to get that property. But that's a commercial real estate loan. And believe me, that's one of the biggest investments you can make in your life. Um, and that property is going to continue to appreciate in value. And you can have your tenants pretty much paying your mortgage. So that's real genera generational wealth. It's real estate. It always has been and always will be. Um, there's other things you can you know, generate wealth with, with owning businesses, owning franchises. But the best thing, it's always been the best thing, has been real estate. So uh, another type of mortgage you can get is a, a debt service credit uh, coverage ratio loan. And what that means is that the loan is pretty much based on... The, uh, how much money you bring down, which is a down payment, which is at least 20%, depending on your credit score. That's one thing I do want to keep in mind is that the higher your credit score is, the lower you need to bring to the table. For example, if your score is over 700, um, and, uh, the loan amounts up to a million dollars, for example, 
then you need to bring 20% to the table. However, if it starts to grow more than 1.5, 2 million, 3 million, you do have to bring a, a bigger down payment um, of a, like a, a 30%. But let's say you have a credit score under 700, let's say it's between 660 and 700, then right off the bat, if it's a million dollars, instead of bringing 20%, you need to bring 25%. And if the loan is about 2.5 million, instead of bringing 30%, you need to bring 35%. So that's why it pays to have good credit. So good credit means that, you know, um, you qualify for higher loan amounts. You have to put less down, down payment and the whole mortgage just goes a lot quicker and a lot faster because you've already proven to lenders that you have good credit and you're able to handle debt and uh, manage it, you know, the correct way. And there's, and there's, there is such a good thing as good debt and bad debt. So good debt is like buying a property, buying a car. Bad debt is like maxing out your credit cards and maxing it out for things you don't need. Sometimes it's good to have a credit card for a backup for things that you do need, like a car repair, an emergency situation, medical costs, um, something you know you're already going to buy, so you might as well just put on your credit card. But a bad, a bad reason to use your credit card is just to buy materialistic things that are seasonal that you don't really need. You're just pretty much buying just to buy. Because at the end of the day, whatever you're buying, especially you're paying a high interest on it, it's never going to really cost what it is at the, at, when you pay it off because you're paying an interest on it. So maybe on, on, on paper, when you first get it, something costs you $300. But if you're only making the minimum payment and you're in, in the interest is high, like 20 to 25%, by the time you pay it off, you're probably going to pay more like four, four to $500 for that, for that same thing. So be very careful how you treat your credit and manage it very well. Um, so that, those are a few examples. Like I said, the FHA loan, the conventional loan, um, commercial real estate, the debt service credit ratio. So like I said, that's pretty much based on your down payment and on the rent that you're going to be getting on the property. It doesn't go off by your income. So you need to at least have a minimum credit score of 660. You need to be at least 20% to the table. The higher your credit, the lower you got to bring, but at least 20%. And the, 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 what qualifies on the income, like I said, it's not really your, your personal income. It's rather the income that's going to be coming or generating from the actual property itself. So what appraisers do is they get like a comparables. They get a rental survey. And based on that, um, what you want is you want to make sure what, what you're looking for is that the rental income will be of a ratio one to one, which means that if the mortgage payment is 3000, then you better hope that the, um, that the rental income is 3000 itself. Be able to make more than that, 3500 4000 a month, and that's great. But just keep in mind that when it comes to these type of investment property loans, um, lenders do take a 20% um, expenses into it. So they'll, they'll assume, well, if you're making, you know, if you are making a profit, they, they're going to want to say, well, at least 20% of that profit, aside from the mortgage itself, which is the, which is the principal, the interest, the taxes, the insurance, that expense, they're also going to put the expense into it. And they're going to, whatever income you can out of it, they're going to, they're going to say, well, if this, you know, if the property is generating the rent, the mortgage is 3000 a month, if the year is 36000 But let's say each month it's making 5000 So at the end of the year, you're making 60000 Now 60000 or 36000 there's an obvious, you know, profit there. But they're also going to take consideration expenses that you're going to go into the house, the repairs, 
um, you know, all the different things that go in, into managing a property. So they're going to make a, a they're going to drop some of that income by, you know, a certain percentage to make sure that, that even with all those expenses, that you're still able to make the mortgage payment. And that's what really matters to, to the lenders. Will you make a profit or not? That doesn't matter to them as long as you make the mortgage payment. And as you should also look about it the same way. Even if you're not making that much money on the property, as long as it's making the mortgage payment, that's all that matters because at the end of the day, the balance is going down and that value, the house is going up. So you're building equity. And eventually one day down the road, years later, the house is going to be so much worth so much more and you can sell it and make some real good money out of that. Or you just pass it down to your family. So um, those are some really cool um, uh, mortgages you, you can take care of. Uh, and uh, there's another mortgage called, like I said, the ITIM I mentioned earlier. Now, I'm, I'm going to look into one of these mortgages and give you some details of what it would be like to qualify. So I mentioned earlier Airbnb loans. Well, I do have a I have a lender that I work with and um, they actually have an Airbnb loan. So this is a debt service uh, uh, coverage ratio mortgage. Like I mentioned earlier, it's based on the mortgage payment. The mortgage payment is based on sorry, off the rental income, not what you bring to the table in terms of your own personal income. So for this example, um, if you had a 700 credit score, all you have to bring is a uh, 20% down. So you finance 80% of it. If you have a 660 to 699, you have to bring 25% down, so more. And then uh, if it goes under that, you have to bring a set, another 25%, but the minimum they're looking for really is 660. That's really what you want. Um, or 600 actually, but you definitely want to get your, your credit score higher, even if you do qualify. Thing is, like I mentioned earlier, it does go by a lot faster and a lot quicker when you have a more, when you have a high credit score rather than you have a lower credit score. And not only that, but one thing to keep in mind also, you need to have a good credit, a good strong credit report. That means having enough trade lines on there. Trade lines are accounts. So that's in the form of uh, credit cards, auto loans, um, personal loans, secured credit cards, store credit cards, um, even a mortgage. If you, you know, if you were to get a mortgage, just having different accounts, having a good healthy mix of it and making sure that you've had them seasoned for a while, which means that they've been old, they've been aged for a while. You don't have any late payments. You don't have any collections, any of those type of things. So take care of your credit. It's going to be a big, big thing for you in the future, um, either now or in the future. So back to this loan. Um, this specific loan, like I said, is a DSCR and it's for, and, it, and another cool thing is that now lenders are getting used to Airbnb loan, Airbnb property. So now you're going to use this specific loan to get you an Airbnb property. So, um, one thing, one of the things that they take consideration is, um, you're an experience. So if you are an experienced investor, then they're going to want to see that the bar has at least a history of owning and managing a commercial or residential real estate for at least one year within the last three years. Um, but if you don't have any experience, let's say you're a first time investor, you would still qualify, but now it's under different, different terms, different qualifications. So for that, um, the borrower, um, if you're not meeting the, the experience investor criteria, you can file, you can, you can qualify in other ways, which is, um, you have to have a minimum score of, minimum FICO score of 680. Now, like I mentioned earlier, 660 to qualify, but 680 for, is for this specific example. So that's why, you know, the, the higher your credit score, the, the, the more possibilities you can, you can do even if you don't, if you need, you don't, if you've never had an investment property before. 
Another thing is you don't want to have any mortgage late payments, none within the last, uh, no 30 day late payments within the last three years. Um, no significant credit, uh, derogatory like a, like a bankruptcy or foreclosure, a delinquency or a modification. Um, so like I said, you really, really want to have be on top of your credit for that. Um, so for this type of mortgage, there's different, there's different types, different terms. There's a 40 year fix. There's a 30 year fix. There's a 15 year fix. And there's an arm, which is an adjustable rate mortgage. And for this specific mortgage, it's a seven to six and a 10 to six. Um, for this, for this mortgage company, this lender, the minimum amount, loan amount is 150,000. The max is 3.5 million. So there's a big spread for that. Um, the max LTV is going to be 80%. So yeah, you need to at least bring 20% down. At least more the merrier, but at least 20% down. Now for this type of a loan, the kind of properties that it covers are single families attached, detached with no restrictions, two to four units and condominiums. Anything outside of that, it doesn't qualify. Another part of the, um, of this type of a mortgage is, uh, whether it's long term or if it's short term. So long term means that it's, you know, that it's, you get clients who are going to, or tenants are going to be there for at least 12 months. Um, so, so with that, what they do to help you qualify is to get the most, the monthly gross rents, gross rent. And, um, and it has to be reflecting at least the long term market rents. So it has to be similar to all the rents you can be getting a, a mortgage that, where it's going to be, you know, under what the average is for the market area. Um, so for a short, for a short term, for a short term, which is a Airbnb, for example, or a flip key, um, the short term rentals, what that means is that it's a property that's leased on a nightly, weekly, monthly, or seasonal basis. So for the qualifications for that, you need to have a five, it's going to be a 5% loan to value reduction that applies to all transactions that are using short term rental income. Um, and it has to be more than one, one to one. Like I mentioned earlier, the, the, the rental income has to be more than one for that to happen. Um, however, if, if it is under one to one, which means that the, the rental income is under the mortgage payment, then there's more things that have to be done in order to qualify for that. Um, so anyways, what goes into these calculations, right? So just like the, the long term, it's the most, it's, it's the monthly gross rent. And it's based, this one is based upon 12 months of the average, um, for average to account for seasonality required. So it has to be, you know, 12 months and you have to average it also with, you know, how it is during this, those seasons because it, it goes up and down. Sometimes of the month, you know, maybe a property gets rented a lot and the times it doesn't. Another thing is that the gross rents are reduced by 20% when I mentioned earlier to reflect extraordinary costs. Those costs because it's, it's a business. And you have an Airbnb, the kind of cost that goes into it. Remember, it's not just the, it's not just the mortgage payment. It's it's the upkeep of the of the Airbnb Airbnb property, which includes advertising, furnishing, and cleaning. Um, anything associated with operating a short-term rental property compared to a non-short-term prep property. So the gross rent it's gonna it's gonna have to be eighty percent. You divide that by the by the the principal, the interest, the taxes, the insurance. Um, and then you, and that's how you get a calculation of what the DSE, 
T-S-E-R is. So it's not like I said, it's not going to be the example of where you make 60000 a year and the, the mortgage payments are, are 36000 That's going to be, they're going to take a, a, a cut out of that to make sure that it actually qualifies because, um, you know, they want to make sure that this is a business and all expenses are being paid for and not just the mortgage payment. Um, another way to, to qualify for rental income or to determine what the rental income would be a, a A1007 or 1025 comparable rent schedule survey that's prepared by the appraisal appraiser reflecting long-term or short-term market rentals. So uh, the most recent 12 months rental history from a third-party rental management service, that, that'll help. Uh, the statement must identify the subject property unit or rent collected for the previous 12 months and all vendor management fees. And uh, the rental welcome will include all vendor or all what is all vendor vendor rent management fees. Another thing is uh, another way to qualify or, uh, or to determine, I'm sorry, the gross month rental income is again the most recent 12 month bank statements from uh, from the borrower as evidence for short term rental deposits. So um, that's another way, and it's probably from from the person who already owns it. Uh, well, I'm sorry, from from yourself. So you, if you're already having an Airbnb property. You want to refinance it and you, and, and you already have one. You want to continue having this loan. Then you need to show 12 months of bank statements. And you need to provide rental records for all for the subject property for the monthly deposits. So that means the rental agreement and all the deposits going into it. Um, so another part that goes into the, and, into qualifying for this type of a mortgage is the underwriting. So that, what I mentioned earlier, that's just the income. So like I said, uh, you have to get, you have to have a credit score. The way that you have a credit score is, is um you the the lender will 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 run your credit throughout three three uh three credit bureaus which is Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. And what they're gonna do is they're gonna get the lowest decision score amongst all borrowers. So if it's more if it's like if it's you and another person or you and three people, they're gonna run all your three credit scores. They're gonna get the person with the lowest credit score, and um, they're gonna get the middle score of those of those three credit scores. So. So yeah, uh, the more people you bring on to board, make sure that they all have good credit and make sure you're all at least over 700. The higher, the better. The, the gold number you want to reach is 760. Anything above it doesn't really matter anymore. It's all the same. The, the benefits you get out of the credit doesn't matter anymore. You won't be much of a, it won't be a difference at all, actually, over 760. But hey, if you want to be part of the 800 credit score club, just let me know. I can get you there as well. You can at least, you know, flaunt to your friends. But you have a 800 credit score. So another part of that is not only the credit score, but so the trade lines. So um, one thing is that uh, there is no minimum trade line required if uh, you have all three credit scores. But let's say you don't have all three credit scores. Let's say it's only showing up on two of the credit reports, two and rather three credit scores. You need to have at least a minimum of two trade lines that are reporting 24 months with activity in the last 12 months. So that means that, uh, you know, you need to have a credit score that's two years old and it's reporting something in the last 12 months. Or you have a minimum of three trade lines, three accounts with 12 months recent activity. That means payments, payments to the auto loan, payments to the credit card, payments to the personal loan, payments to that secured credit card. Just something that shows that. I mean, you can even get another mortgage. You own, you know, the mortgage is the property that you live in for yourself. Um, another thing they're going to go into is your assets. Um, and you need to have a minimum of 30 as it verification required. It means it has to sit there for 30 days. So that means your money market, your 401ks, your IRA, your checking account, your savings account, 
your investment accounts. It needs to be there for more than 30 days. It needs to be verified that it's been there for 30 days, at least a minimum. Um, you need to also have reserves. A reserve is pretty much a mortgage payment. So that means it's, it's the, like I said, it's the principal, it's the interest, it's the taxes and the insurance. Um, you know, and all, all, that's what goes into a mortgage payment. So if you have a good credit score, for example, with this loan, you only need to have two months of payments already in the account. Aside from the 20% down, the liquid in your checking or savings account that you're going to use to get the property, you have that 20%. So let's say simple numbers. If it's a million dollar property, you're going to put 200,000 and you have the 200,000 and you need to have two mortgage payments on top of the 200,000. Um, if the loan amount, that's only the loan amount is under 1.5 million. If the loan amount's over 1.5 million, then they raise the two months of the reserve to six months. And if the loan amount's over two and a half million, then it goes to 12 months. So the higher the loan, the more reserve you need to bring to the table. And that's with this specific lender. All lenders are different. Um, another thing is you can also put gift funds toward this type of loan. Like I said, this is a debt service coverage ratio loan that you can use to get an Airbnb property. Um, you can use gift funds. Um, but there's only there's a limit to how much you can use. So the gift funds are, are allowed at a minimum of 10% uh, bar contribute. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's only allowed to a, to a certain amount, but the bar has to bring 10%. So, for example, the 20% you're going to bring down, 10% minimum you have to bring to the table. The other 10, 10% and above, that, being given, that can be given to you as a gift fund. And you can use that towards a property, but again, it has to be given, which means that it's not another, it's not another loan. They're not letting you borrow that money to get the house. That's just something to give to you. It has to be in the letter written that it's just a gift and whoever gave me the money doesn't expect to get it back. So that's pretty much covers it for that type of loan, that example. Now, um, like I said, um, uh, a few more facts when it comes to credit. At least have a 620. Um, I think from FHA is a minimum of 620. Uh, conventional 620, but, um, other lenders want at least 660. The higher, the better. Um, when you, that's only when you're up to four units. However, when it gets to over five units, it's no longer credit driven. It's mostly based on the, on the down payment and what type of income it's gonna, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna generate. So, um, so yeah, that's when that's when it comes to that to that kind of property. So uh, a rental service, what they use to, to to get that. So they use that's how you get comparables. So what it, what it ends up happening is an appraiser gets a financial analysis. Appraiser is a person who actually checks out the house, and they determine the value and they determine the quality of the house and, and just exactly how much rents can come out of it. And that's what helps you. That's what helps the bank uh, figure out what the value of the house is and. And um, that that goes in, into the mix when you're trying to qualify for a loan, because obviously, depending on the on the value of the house, that's going to determine how much of a down payment you're going to need. So um, they're going to use comparables. So for example, if you're trying to get a property where it's two to three units, where they're going to get another property that's two to three units. So it's two to two units, two to three units. Uh, but let's say the appraiser just looking for a property that's very similar and there is no two units. There's nothing similar. So what they use instead is they use the square footage and the current rent. That might be another way because let's say if it's just one to one unit, but let's say there's another property that's similar in square footage, but it's not 
one unit, it's two units. I'm sorry, if it's not two units, let's say you have an example of a two units, so using the two units, but if the other two units is not available, they'll get a property that's similar in square footage, and that property could be a three unit or four unit, and they'll, they'll compare the income that, that four unit property, year to unit, as long as it's the same square footage. Um, so now you're trying to figure out, well, where, where do I find these loans? Well, investment property loans you can get at your local bank, at a credit union. Uh, local banks, I mean like a Wells Fargo, Chase, Bank of America, a credit union. Um, you can go to a, or, you know, specifically for like commercial loans, those you'd have to go to a business bank or a mortgage center, which is what I am. So now let me give, let me let you give you a, a mortgage, I'm sorry, a mortgage broker who has access to a, to mortgage companies. Now, let me give you the difference between a personal, between a mortgage lender at a, I'm sorry, a loan officer at a bank and a mortgage broker. So the biggest differences is that, um, a mortgage broker obviously has more access to more, to more loans. Okay. That's one of the reasons. Now, a mortgage broker is usually locally based. So having a loan officer or having a mortgage broker that, that lives in your time zone is better because if you're trying to go with a loan officer at a different, with the Bank of America, for example, their underwriting department, um, their loan processors can be in a different state. Or sometimes there's a bank, your local, your local bank, and there's no loan officer there. So they'll connect you with the loan officer that's somewhere in the Midwest and they're in a different time zone. So having a conversation with these people is going to be really difficult, you know, especially there's a three hour time difference. You know, maybe their, their hours don't, don't work the same as your working schedule. Um, like I said, they're not, so a loan officer, a mortgage broker would be a lot more, you have easier access to get to them. Um, a lot of these loan officers at these local banks, they have a lot of clients. So you, you're just another number to them. Uh, with the mortgage broker, then the, the relationship is a little more personalized. So you better, you know, to get in contact with them. Um, another thing is, like I said, a mortgage broker has a lot of access to more lend, to more loans. They'll have access to, uh, obviously all the basic ones, the, the conventional loan, the VA loan, the FHA loan. Um, but they'll also have access to commercial loans, to, uh, you know, all true documentation loans, like loans where the income is based off of 1099 only. Loans where instead of two years of um, employment history, they only ask for one year. Uh, or loans that just based off of bank statements if you're self-employed. Uh, there's just even there's even a mortgage where it's not based on your your income, and it's just to qualify for you to live in the house or to get an investment property, where it's just based on your credit and how much you're bringing to the table, which is your liquid funds, and of course your rental income. So these type of loans you're not going to find at your local bank or credit union. These are through lenders. Now let me give you the reason why um, the biggest difference between a mortgage, uh, a lender, a mortgage company, and a bank. When a bank loans out, because they're FDIC, what it, what it comes out to is whatever money that the bank gets from their from their customers, they use that money and they turn it right around to lend it to people. So when they do that. You have to be very conservative with the money. So that's why when it comes to qualifying with a mortgage, it's a lot more difficult and it's a lot longer. They ask for a lot of documentation. The reason is because they're, they're literally, they're literally lending, lending money that's not theirs. It's from their pocket. And they're taking a risk on lending the money out to, 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 to an applicant. 
So have to be real careful because that that mortgage becomes part of their investment portfolio. Each time you're making a payment, well, it's like you know, it's it's you're you're paying for the investment, so they're they're making interest. That's how they're making their money off of it. Um, and that's that's how they continue to run their businesses. Your monthly payment goes towards their pocket. And that's how they make their profit. And uh, so they keep it part of their portfolio. They they would love for you to, to pay off your mortgage in 30 years, in 20 years, in 15 years. And they don't want you to pay it off any earlier than what the actual term was, because uh, the the longer you make the payments, the more interest they make, the more money they make off of you at the end of the day. Um, so they keep that part of the portfolio, that lend that loan that they give to you. Now, with the mortgage company, it's different. It's not FDIC, which means that people don't have checking accounts or saving accounts there. They're not borrowing money from someone and turn around and lending it out to someone else. All they do literally is they lend you out the money, that mortgage, the same way you get approved and you sign the documentation and get that mortgage. They sold that mortgage to another, to an investor in the secondary market. And those could be like private investors. It could be, uh, uh, investment firms. It could be banks, it could be insurance companies, a bunch of different players that fall into that. Securities, even governments as well. Um, they buy these mortgage securities and that becomes like their, their stock. And that their, your mortgage payments interest is like their dividend, is the dividend they're getting out of it. So the biggest difference is, like I said, the bank keeps that loan. The mortgage company doesn't. They already signed the paperwork and they already sold, so they could care less. So to them, it's a lot easier to fund your loan because they're not going to even keep it anyways. They sell the mortgage to an investor and they might still continue doing servicing, which means they collect the mortgage payment and they pay, you know, if you choose to, to have them pay your insurance or your taxes, they, they'll do that for you too. But the point is they'll, they'll service the mortgage payments. They'll collect the payments or they can sell that as well. More than likely, they're going to probably just end up selling it. They'll sell the mortgage to, to an investor and they'll sell the servicing rights to another lender. And they're pretty much done. So because they don't actually keep the loan in their portfolio, for them it's a lot easier. They just buy it and they sell it and they flip it. And when they sell it, they get a bunch of mortgages into a pool and they sell it off as a pool, as an, as an investment. So that's why it's a lot easier to deal with mortgage to, to do with mortgage companies because they just want to get the mortgage around and flip it and sell it. They have no intention of keeping it. That's why they don't really don't care about being so um, you know, stuck over the very specific details of your income or all this documentation or your credit score or your credit reports, you know. That's another cool thing is that these these mortgage companies, they'll work with you so you don't have to have the best credit score. You know, you can have a lower credit score and they're still going to work with you. They have a lot of options, a lot of ways to make it happen. So like I said, a mortgage broker is probably your best bet whether you're buying an investment property or you're buying a property you're going to live in or like I said, you're going to get an FHA loan where you're going to be living in one of the units and varying out the other ones. So um, another investment, another, another form of getting uh, an investment property is uh, is house flipping. So house flipping pretty much is when you buy a house with the intention to turn around and sell it. So the house, usually you want it to be undervalued and it's going to need some repair work. So an example is uh, you buy a house for 150000 you put down fifty grand. Which means that you have a mortgage of 100, and then you put some work into it, and now you sell it for 250 or 300,000, and the difference is the money you make. But you do it very quickly. You do it within three to six months, or even a month. You know, you do it as quickly as possible. Um, now, what kind of house can you get that's undervalued? What does that even mean? That means it could be a distressed a distressed sell, which means that 
it's a sale that's not being done because the property owners want to get rid of it because they want to upgrade to the house. It could be a situation where they're trying to sell the house, but not because they want to, but because they have to. For example, it could be like the borrowers died. There's a divorce. The bars are going through a hardship or they're actually moving. So something they have to get done right away. So those are perfect properties for like house flipping. That's how you can get a house through one of those scenarios. So hardship, moving, someone died or there's a divorce. Um, so what you want to do first is get a realtor. Have them help you find properties. Um, that, that's one way of doing it. And then, um, you know, there's a, there's a few options. Like the easiest one, like I said, is getting a conventional loan. You can do that, but remember, you have to bring um, if you have to bring a certain percentage down, uh, 20% down. So uh, those are a few examples of some mortgages that you can use, uh, and a few ways to get a property. There's one more I want to leave, the last one, which is a reverse mortgage. A reverse mortgage is a is a is a mortgage for people over the age of 62 if it's to an FHA, but if it's a proprietary one, it's over 55. For that one, it's a mortgage where Someone who's had the house for a long, long amount of time, um, where they have at least 50% equity. So the house is worth a million. The loan is under 500,000 or at least 500,000, something lower than that. Actually, a lot lower than that. And what they end up doing is, um, you end up pulling money out of the house. And a reverse mortgage is just like a, a cash out mortgage. You, you take out the money. However, the biggest difference is, on a cash out reverse, on a cash out mortgage or refinance, you have to make, start making payments the next month, right? On a reverse mortgage, you don't. So, you don't have to make any more payments. You can make a payment if you want to, but you're not, you don't have to. The mortgage payments are not done until the property is, are not due, I'm sorry, until the property is sold. The borrowers no longer live there for more than six months. Or both borrowers or one of the borrowers Depending on how many bars are on, are on the mortgage, die. So that's when that's when that's when the, the whatever's borrowed against it is due. So um, uh, you know someone can buy a house. Someone could have bought their house 30 years ago uh, for 200,000, and now it's worth one million dollars. And let's say they paid it off, and they're at age 70. They get a reverse mortgage. They get a principal limit that they qualify for half a million dollars. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, let's say you bought it for two hundred thousand. They paid off. Now it's a million dollars. Um, they had don't owe anything on it. That's just a, a really easy example. They they call for a half a million dollars line of credit, like a HELOC. Think of a big credit card that's tied to a house, and they can use this this line of credit like a credit card. You only pay for what you for what you um what you borrow. So they say they take out of that half a million dollars, they take a hundred thousand to go enjoy their lives, do some vacationing, maybe. You know, uh, start a small business, give away some money to their children to buy a house. Um, and the other 400,000, they use that to buy investment properties as a down payment. So there's a, there's a bunch of different ways to get an investment property, uh, regardless of your age or your situation. Um, obviously you have some determining factors to qualify, like you have an income, you have a good credit score, but at the end of the day, as long as you have a good strategy, um, and you have a and you have a good team of a of a real estate agent and a broker, and someone who knows credit, like myself. And I'm a mortgage broker, so I can do both those two things. You'd have to just get a real estate agent. Um, you know, you just need to get a good team. You can get yourself an investment property. So um, this will pretty much end it for this this episode. This episode again was the uh, investment mortgage 
um, investment property episode. We're gonna have some more episodes coming in coming in the future. Look out for a, a, a episode with a real estate agent. I mean, I'm gonna talk about. I'm gonna have a guest speaker. We're gonna talk about what it takes to get into the real estate industry as a real estate agent or as a broker. Um, how to make money in that? How do you get yourself into it? When's a good time to get into it? And what what it takes to pass those exams? Um, and you're gonna get some insights and some advice from that real estate agent as well. Not just that, but also what's going on in the market if you're looking to buy a house or sell your house as well. So if you have any questions, shoot them my way, and I can have the real estate agent answer those questions for you. Um, I'm also gonna have another episode future in the future with my financial advisor Lino Perez, and another one with uh with a, with an, a special guest who's a lawyer, he's an attorney, and he focuses on uh, different ter- different types of law, but one of the things that he does is estates, um, and I think trusts, maybe wills. I'm not sure exactly, but I know he does trusts, and he's going to explain the differences between all these three different things and when it's appropriate to do it. So be on the lookout for that episode as well. So again, if you guys have any questions, reach out to me. If you have something to do with finances, with business, with the mortgage industry, with uh, with credit, business credit, personal credit, uh, reach out to me. I can answer those questions. If I don't have those questions, I'll get the answer for you. I have a network of, prof- of, of you know, uh, finance professionals that I work with. Um, you'll be able to get the answer for you. If you have any anything you want me to cover, any topics, any questions, anything all, let me know. Aside from that, if you want to reach out to me, reach out to me. You can find my Instagram at Alino Home Loans. I have my email there, along with my uh, my my phone number there. You can contact me as well. Like I said, it could be for business, it could be for advice, it could be for credit consultation. Could be for something related to mortgages, to real estate, or anything in the financial world. I, I have worked with a lot of different people, financial advisors, life insurance agents, real estate agents, um, different people I could connect you with. So let me know what questions you have. And I'll, get sure, I'll make sure they get, they'll get answered or at least direct, point you in the right direction. Aside from that, thank you for listening. I know this was a pretty long episode, it's almost an hour, but it was just a lot to cover. Like I said, if you want, if you want to pick up a specific strategy for your situation, Reach out to me and I can help you get a property, an investment property, your own property, work on your credit, work on business credit, help you get a business loan, a commercial loan.